Well, let me take this moment to welcome you here to Spruce Grove Community Church. If you're visiting with us this morning, uh, I want to say that, you know, we are called, it says in Acts 27, to, to seek him. He said that his hope is that the nations would grope for him. There's a seeking and there's a groping because there's always something beyond your understanding, beyond your vision, beyond what you've experienced in God that's meant to be apprehended. And it will always be apprehended by those who seek, by those who have determined in their hearts that he is the pearl of great price, that there's nothing more than finding him. Because if you want to be changed, it's by finding him. We are his workmanship, and so God is looking to restore. God is looking to give deliverance. God is looking to give breakthrough in your life, but it's about coming to him, finding him, and when we see him, we're changed. And so I invite you to seek him with all your heart this morning, with all of your mind, to love him with all of your strength, with everything that's in you, to reach out for him, because he is not far off, it says, Though, he, though it seems like we can't find him, he is not far off. And so, God, we pray that you would give us the humility, the, the capacity to know that you are there and that if we just reach out a little further than we have reached, that we're going to find something we've never found in you before. Amen. Now, have you ever seen somebody who's lost their keys and is in a hurry and they're desperately looking for their keys? Look at the body language. Think of the body language of somebody who's desperately looking versus somebody on a Sunday walk, casually strolling through the park. What is our posture this morning? What, is the, what kind of desperation is in our heart? Are we strolling through the park? Are we desperately looking for something that is critical to what we need, that we could not progress unless we have this thing? The kind of seeking that God is after is not the strolling through the park and enjoying the view. It is, God, I need you. God, my, I, I know that you're there. I know there's something to be apprehended, and I need you. Now, if you're not desperate, you can't pretend to be. But desperation is something you can lean into. Desperation is something you can ask God for. God, show me my situation. Show me what I need right now. Show me what I'm missing. God, I, I'm highly educated. I've been in church for so many years. I, I think I know how to seek you. I think I know how church should go. But God, it hasn't been working. There's something missing from the equation of my Christianity. And I need to have it. I need to have it lest I die. Is that desperation inside of you? I believe it's inside some of us. But we're saying, God, we don't want to be overcome with evil. We want to see a manifestation of your glory. In this land, let the Holy Ghost cut loose. We're saying, let the fire of God fall. We're saying, there's no other choice. There's no other hope. Let the fire fall. We're saying, Lord, ready or not, here you come. We're willing. Let the fire fall. Burn, 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 burn. Whether it's my time, whether it's my voice, whether it's my money, burn, burn. Burn! Burn! Fire of God! Fire of God! Fire of God, come! Fire of God, come! Fire of God, come! So, Lord, we say this morning, we embrace the duality of what you're doing in the earth, and we declare that there is no other name. There is no other name. 
There is no other name. Come on, say, declare the name of Jesus. The name of Jesus. It is the name of Jesus by which men will be saved. No other name. Jesus. Jesus. Jesus Christ. Jesus, Son of God. Jesus. 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 Can I share a mystery with you? There's, there's two camps we can be in, two ditches we can be in. And one of them is we often find ourselves or we're waiting for God to do something. And yet God says, if you draw near to me, I will draw near to you. It says that Jesus is seated at the right hand of the throne of God until his enemies are made his footstools. And this morning on the way, I was reflecting on their time away here, and I was thinking of the beautiful gifts that God has prepared in the earth. And I started thinking about the question, what's the most powerful weapon in the earth? What is the most powerful weapon in the kingdom of God? And I started to think of all the arsenal of God, all the things that God has given us. You know, the name of Jesus, the love of God, the sword of the Spirit. And and surely, you know, we would say, wow, the love is the greatest. You know, it's the Holy Spirit. It's the Word of God. But do you know what the greatest weapon that God has determined for creation, do you know what the greatest weapon is? The sons of God. The sons of God. He said, he said that woman is the glory of man, and man is the glory of God. That God's plan of redemption for creation, Paul said, he says that please the Father to form His Son in me. It is the manifestation of Jesus in His people that destroys the works of wickedness, the works of darkness. And we tend to vacillate from one place where we think it's all about us. And I remember when John Wimber began to emerge in the church, and it's because we had, we had done everything possible to make ourselves significant. And then God came with a word that said, without me you can do nothing. And we thought, oh yeah, it's all about Him. And then we got to the place where it's all about Him, and all we did was come to meetings and lay back and hope that He would show up. And He said, no, seek me with all your heart. Oh, yeah, we have to seek Him. And then all of a sudden we began to rise up and begin to reach for Him with all of our strength. But there's this middle road of a people who realize without Him we can do nothing, but I have to be the one that rises up in the name of Jesus, that I am the one that God is forming Christ in, that the manifestation of the church is through a body, that He is the head, but without the head, He can't do anything. He needs a body in the earth. Now, we could go on for hours, and you know, there's days going to come when we are going to do that. Not only should we, but we will be able to do it but we need to close this part off because we've got a guest speaker today in this things. But I want us to close this moment with a shout. You know why? Because it says in Ephesians that we are his workmanship. You know, when God is working in the earth, you know what he's doing? The objective of his work is you. You are the place that he's primarily fixated on, changing you, transforming you into the image of his son. Why? Because the turnover moment... For the manifestation of the kingdom of God that says in Romans 8 is when creation sees the emergence of the sons of God. When the manifestation, the full picture, the the bride without spot and wrinkle, the body of Christ complete, when it is finished, 
then the glory of God will be fully manifest in the earth. In creation, that's the trigger that says to creation, this is it. This is the final blow. So you are his workmanship. So in order to say amen, Lord, let the work progress. We're going to shout. We're going to shout and say, Lord, let your salvation have its way inside of me. One, two, three. Hey! The day is coming when we will give ourselves to worship for more than an hour. The day is coming when we're going to give days and nights to continuous worship and praise because a cyclonic, tornado-like vortex of the glory and the fire of God is is going to begin to take shape and emerge from a people of God. And out of that vortex is going to... is going to shoot off flames of fire and revival around the earth. And those places, those pinnacle centers are going to be apostolic centers where the people of God have come into the revelation of the workmanship of God in their midst. So, Lord, we say let Spruce Grove be one of those places. Let Edmonton be one of those places. God, do in our midst what you said you would do. The Spirit of God is beginning to open our hearts about what it is He's called us to. You know, one of the significant rebukes to a church in the New Testament is when Paul is talking to the Corinthians. I mean, there's a lot of things he took issue with. But one of the things he says, he says, you're living like mere men. You're living like mere men. And I mean, uh, as an excuse, we could offer up, but we are men. He said, no, you're living like mere men. You're not mere men. You're not mere men. And so everything inside of us, and I want to dedicate this to everything inside of us that is living like mere men, I want it gone. Everything that I say, well, this is what we should expect. I want it gone. I want to say, God, take off the, take off the caps. Take off the limitations. Show me, show me what's possible. Uh, remove all the excuses, all the justifications. All the reasons of pointing, well, this, 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 this. You don't understand, Holy Spirit. You don't understand. No, he understands very well. He says everything necessary for life and godliness has been provided through the, through the promises of God that by them we might be partakers of the divine nature. The divine nature. That's the plan. It's always been the plan. The divine nature. Oh, I don't know if I could presume that. Well, you better start presuming that because that's the promise. Let God be true and every man a liar. So this is what I'm going to do. I'm going to put my seed in you. I'm going to manifest my son in you. What's going to come forth is something so great that creation is going to look at you and not know the difference between you and Jesus. So is that the reality you're living right now? Are you happy with the level of transformation you have or is there some work yet? Lord, we want it all. Because he will not relent. He will not relent until he has it all. He wants every part of my heart. Oh, God. Whew.
Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Amen. All right. So uh, just before we invite Dean Briggs up, we're going to uh, just give you a couple of little highlights and um, about uh, this last trip. So I met uh, this group, and they're actually out of the Pensacola Revival. Anybody go to Pensacola during the revival? I, I'm telling you, there, there's something on them that is so powerful, so great, you know, and it's producing a zeal and a commitment and a pursuit of God that's highly unusual. And so we just loved being with them and uh, watching how they interacted with one another and how they, they sought God, but also the energy of the power of God that was in the midst of them. It was amazing. You know, I, Netherlands closed 1,500 churches in the last, uh, the last 10 years. 1,500 churches have closed their doors in the Netherlands. And it's, uh, they ceased to be churches actually way before they closed the doors. But nevertheless, this is the issue that we have where there's, there's very few churches that are actually opening up the realm of the Spirit, and releasing the river of God in the land. But they're a church, and uh, despite the fact that there appear to be setbacks, it's so exciting to see that when God wants to do something, He just finds a man and a woman and just begins to do it. It's absolutely incredible. One of the other speakers that was there was a guy from, from uh, Lynch, Kentucky. Anyway, beautiful, beautiful man. And, and I was thinking, wow, God has so many people on the face of the earth. He was the other speaker, and he's, uh, he'd be older than us, but just a father figure who is seeing community transformation in the most amazing way. This, the numbers of miracles that there was happening in that little community, like unemployment was like 70% or something like that, or just a series of things. And the kinds of transformation that's happening is mind-boggling. But so I think we're actually going to get him up here and get him in the city and do something around transformation because the miracles that were happening, and it wasn't just evangelism, but literally the creating natural infrastructure to give people a chance at a life. You know that God's into that, right? Yeah, amen. So great stuff. I'm going to let Gam share a couple of things, and then we'll invite Dean forward. Okay, short and sweet, just to kind of give you a sense of scope. A group of people that really enjoy being around each other where they spend hours and hours and hours and hours every week together instead of me time, instead of going to the movies, instead of turning the TV on, instead of putting the kids to bed early and hiding out, they get together. So you got lots of time to deal with your stuff because you spend way more time with iron sharpening iron. And then when those people pray and they spend hours and hours and hours praying... Heaven moves. And so what they would say is that we are a normal people who had the fire of loving Jesus fall on them where they just wanted to be together and they just want to pray. And I asked about the beginning of that. You know, did it just all happen at once? They said, no, it started with just this little, this little bit of an itch. At the end of the service, I don't know, there's something. I just I want to linger. And the linger started lingering longer. A longer linger. I like that. And next thing you know, every Sunday, every Sunday, they are together for at least 12 hours. Morning service. After morning service is done, three or four hours of morning service, then they go into like three hours of prayer and intercession like our Wednesday nights. And after that, well, we've been here for six hours and it's dinner time, so we better eat. And then after that, well, let's pray some more because God was showing us stuff the last time that we were praying. We better pray into that. 
And at the end of that, okay, now we're going to debrief a bit because God's been saying all sorts of stuff. And hey, wow, when did it get to be midnight? Okay, let's pray. I, I saw the worship leader has a timestamp of himself taking a selfie when he went home one night. I mean, one morning. It was 5.15 a.m. He met his neighbor who was going to work, and they waved at each other, and his neighbor thought he was going to work too, and he was just coming home. And this is normal people that are loving God and loving each other. And I want to tell you that these first seeds have been happening here. So it's possible. And when we go there, we got to jump in and ride the current with them. And let me tell you, it's addictive. Because there's no holds barred. You let go of everything to just run with these people. And I am so full, so excited, so challenged yeah, I better stop there. There's more story time later. Now, don't make any mistakes about this. It was exhausting. <laughs> Absolutely exhausting. But, you know, it, it, part of that is finding another gear. You know, the grace of God, there's more gears than the grace of God. There's more gears. And it's kind of like, you know, even on a human level, we have more. We're just not used to pushing ourselves. That's why I love that, you know, um, Navy SEALs training, right, where they're, they're, you know, have these 18-hour days, and they're, they're laying for a couple hours in about six inches of water, and the waves of the sea, and it's cold out, and they've been laying there for two hours in the water, and the guy's yelling at me, so he said, you're not dying, you're just uncomfortable. <laughs> and I'm thinking, I like to be comfortable, <laughs> right? So, so, God, you know, change our, our need for comfort and bring us that higher gear. Yes. Amen. I think we're going to maybe trademark that thing, the, the, the longer linger time. You know, maybe we get longerlinger.com, you know. And, uh, you know, that, we'll, we'll put something under that. But uh, hallelujah. Well, um, I'm trying to get all, all this straight. So, uh, Dean is going to come and share. We're going to release him to release his heart and do whatever the Lord tells him to do. But Dean is uh, chief strategist, officer, you know, whether it be with C, strategic officer, CSO for the calls with Lou Engel. And so he did that a number of years. He is retired or from that. He's now doing some consulting with IHOP, so he's closely connected there. He's from Kansas City. We met. We're actually on the same same committee, a leadership team that Art Lucius called together to help uh, bring in the North Battleford thing. Now, the North Battleford, I don't know if, if you know anything about the history of revival in this country. God poured out his spirit on the Sharon Orphanage in, uh, in North Battleford in the most amazing way. And it was right uh, around the time of the healing revivals in the U.S., you know, William Branham and, and all of that stuff. But it ushered in, I mean, there was amazing ministries that were birthed in the wake of those outpourings of the Spirit. And, and so it's now 70 years from the time of that outpouring. And there's a sense in the body of Christ in Canada that this is a significant window. And in fact, this is the year of the open door, the Jewish year. This, that's what this year means. And we're coming to the end of the year of the open door. So our 40-day fast is kind of just posture ourselves to say, Lord, we want to finish this year well. We want the year of the open door to get every open door that we need. We want to be able to apprehend, lay hold of, get into everything that God has prepared for us. And that's why we're fasting and seeking Him diligently at this time. Because we, something's coming in the next year, and we don't know, but we're, we're trying to get our ducks in a row. 
And uh, at the same time, there's things that are collective, things that are happening on another scale in our nation, and we're participating in that. So I'm going to be a part of that November 1st to the 10th. And at this point, I'm planning on, you know, flying home for the, the Sunday and being here on the Sunday, so I don't miss another Sunday on, uh, in November because I've got a busy October. But, but uh, anyway, if some of you are interested in being a part of that, he's going to share some of, some of this, and maybe we'll, uh, we'll be there together. All right, can you welcome Dean Briggs? Amen. We receive him, right? We receive him. Receive him like you would receive me. I, I hope that's a good thing. Hi, everyone. <laughs> Sometimes I jump right in too, uh, too quickly. Um, uh, I, I uh, sometimes come with a prepared message, and sometimes I just feel like the Lord says, just get there and listen, you know, and, and see what's happening. And I, I, f- I feel, the, the problem with that is, I can now go in about five directions. <laughs> I actually, I actually uh, God help me. Uh, I'm married, I have eight kids. Thank you very much. I was married for 16 years when my wife passed away from breast cancer. I had four boys under the age of 11. I was pastoring for, had been pastoring for about 11 years at the time. Uh, church I planted in, around Springfield, Missouri. Um, stepped out of ministry to heal, moved back uh, to be with my family, and uh, met and married a, a, a fiery red-headed widow who had lost her husband. Uh, just a little before I lost my wife, she had four kids. I had four kids. We have eight kids. God's done an amazing work of, of restoration and healing and uh, uh, giving beauty for ashes. Uh, when I first met uh, Pastor Mark uh, in Saskatoon, I want to say this publicly in front of you because sometimes you take for granted uh, what you're familiar with, what you're around. You know, people in Los Angeles never go to Disneyland because it's right there. But people from all over the world go to Disneyland. When I met Pastor Mark, I, I, I realized we only had a little bit of interaction and he shared his heart a couple times. It's actually rare, rarer than you know, uh, for pastors... The gift mix of a pastor is uh, primarily related to shepherding the flock. And it's beautiful and it's good, but it's rarer than you think that pastors move with such a spirit of revelation. And I know that, that uh, uh, I was just, I was feeling it again. Mark moves in a spirit of revelation. That's a gift to this body. It's a gift to Edmonton. Don't, don't, don't take that for granted. In fact, I was sitting there thinking, Sons of God is one of my favorite topics. It's actually part of uh, uh, the latter rain outpouring that happened 70 years ago. They inaugurated for the body of Christ. It's a contentious kind of doctrine, actually. But how many of you understand that depending on what church you're in, you can point to just about any page of the Bible, and if you read the right thing, you're going to make somebody mad. Yeah. Seriously, we all have our pet doctrines. 
And, and depending on where you are, you can just read, you don't have to give any commentary on it. You can just read a particular passage and you can see the boiling point starting to rise because that doesn't fit in their grid. But the latter rain revival was responsible. It's a contested thing. They had some errors. It, it wasn't a perfect revival. Can anyone point to a perfect revival in history? There's not one. They're full of messes because they're the work of Jeremiah to tear down and build up. And so, uh, but the latter rain gave us a fresh wind and understanding on the manifestation of the sons of God. It's Romans 8. It's, it's the whole earth groaning. Actually, Pastor Mark, I'm telling you, I, I see in our future, I'm, I'm, I want to... I want to do something where we're like tag team wrestlers. Because <laughs> you go and then, you know, when you kind of need a break, just come over and tag me and I want to jump up. And we're just, because this is, this is something now for the body of Christ. The manifestation of the sons of God in the earth is what all of creation is groaning for. And you can go too far with that, but the problem is we have not gone nearly far enough. When God said... Through the prophet Isaiah, uh, uh, my house shall be a house of prayer for all the peoples of the earth, all the ethnos of the earth. Jesus later stated the same thing. He said, zeal for the Father's house consumed him. And when you look at the Father, he, he, to say, my house, that is fundamentally an ownership statement where the Father is saying, this is mine. And my house shall be a house of prayer for all the nations of the earth. What's happening in that statement is the Father, the word Father in Hebrew, this is actually not what I'm going to talk about, but here we go. So um, the, the Father in Hebrew, one line of thought is that the, 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 the root word Abba, Ab, means the decider. That's kind of what Dad's supposed to be. That's why we need strong men in, in strong marriages raising strong children. And they need to see that dad knows how to make a decision and commit to it and stand firm on his convictions and lead the family because dad's the decider. Now we all know mom is, dad may be the head of the family, but mom turns the head wherever she wants it to turn. Right? Mom's the neck. If mama ain't happy, ain't nobody happy. But... That statement is, the Father has decided what His house will look like. And it's going to be a house of prayer for all nations. Now here's why all of creation matters as how God tells His story. Because God also decided to start with three chapters in Genesis that lay the template by which we understand reality. And so, a man builds his house in two ways. He does it with a bride, right? A man takes a bride, and out of the intimate covenant of their love, that sets the tone and the character, and and what a man and a woman share cannot be shared by anyone else. So a man takes a bride, and in the act of taking a bride, he becomes a father, and that's the second act of how he, he raises a house, because what a woman brings in culture and intimacy is meant to be extended through lineage and legacy, and that's the work of sons. So if if the father has uh, 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 an extension of his family through time, it takes bridal, 
a bridal paradigm, bridal intimacy, and men, we're part of that bride. That took me a while to get used to. But men, we're part of that bride. There's a bridal paradigm in the heart of God. God has decided that man and woman would be a living example on the earth of this paradigm. So a man takes a woman and uh, they, out of the intimacy of their love and covenant together, there is fruitfulness. A bride is a woman covenanted by love and given permission in that covenant to bear fruit in the earth. She carries the seed of the man and sons are born and sons carry the father's name and legacy through time and they establish the dynasty of the father. So we have had a a movement of the bridal paradigm over the last 20 years of of, uh, the prayer movement. IHOP is uh, as kind of a signature voice, International House of Prayer. Is everyone familiar? A lot of people. Well, there's a prayer movement in the earth that wasn't here 20 years ago. And that has largely been founded on the bridal paradigm, intimacy with God in prayer. But it is leading to, you have to start there. You don't get sons without a bridal paradigm. But it's leading to sons in the earth. I so appreciate that, Mark. I just, I had a dream uh, uh, a few months ago. And in the dream, I woke up, and uh, I didn't wake up in the dream. I woke up from the dream, and I was pondering the dream. I, I, I had, no, actually, in the dream, I did wake up. I had been asleep. In the dream, I had been asleep. And when I woke up in the dream, I realized that um, I had been tattooed. And it was, it was coming up my arm. It was one of those massive tattoos that cool guys have, and I, I don't. Right? And it was coming all the way up my arm and wrapping around. I mean, it was one of those massive tattoos. And it was uh, uh, the Marvel comic book superheroes. I, w- I was tattooed with their uniforms, at wrapping around. Now, this is DC Comics for those of you that keep up with these things. But right over my heart, it was Superman. And I woke up thinking, oh my gosh, how am I going to explain this tattoo to my wife? <laughs> in the dream, I woke up in the dream thinking, how am I going to explain this to my wife? But when I woke up, I really woke up, I knew the Lord was saying, this requires no explanation. I'm raising sons of God in the earth. And you have to start to see yourself branded with the high call of God. And so if men are part of the bride of Christ, ladies, you're part of the sons of God. These are two different ways of understanding. The bride relates to, the bride relates uh, 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 uniquely at the level of intimacy and heart connect. Sons relate to authority. And these are two expressions. They're equally important. And women embody one aspect. Men embody another aspect in a natural sense. But we're all part of exhibiting both in a spiritual sense. Now I know I could just reach out and tag Mark right now. And he'd jump up here and take this and run with it. But I want to I actually shift and talk about Agreement. If you'll turn to Matthew 18, 
Science is uh, layer by layer uncovering great truths that have been embedded in the Word, that are embedded in creation. The materialist um, uh, philosophy that has dominated science for so long uh, and has produced such uh, errant ideas as evolutionary biology, that comes from a materialist philosophy of, sci- uh, of science that says, uh, that for the last 200 years has basically said, the only true thing is what you can see, touch, taste, that what you can perceive with sensory data is what leads to truth. But that is a house built on sand because the latest tra- uh, trends in science are all related to quantum physics. And quantum physics is basically saying, now they don't want them to be at odds with one another, so they're trying to find ways not to embarrass the materialist uh, uh, foundations of the last 200 years of science. But quantum physics is basically saying, that's not true. There's so much beyond what you can see. And, and, and quantum uh, uh, scientists are actually like almost a priesthood of science because they talk in mystical terms. They can't actually convey their ideas or their understanding without sounding like, you know, they're, they're shamans. Seriously. So the, 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 one of the leading theories now, and it's untestable except in mathematical formulas. That's, that's, that's part of the challenge is you can only use incredibly complex formulas to try to articulate reality. And one of the leading uh, uh, formulations is called string theory. Now, how many of you all in school, when you were shown diagrams of atoms, right? And you saw, you know, the, the nucleus and, and floating around it are so many protons and so many neutrons and so many electrons. And, and the whole thing was drawn about that big on your page, right? Let me give you something more to scale as they have uh, developed high-powered electron microscopes and other things. It would take a building much bigger than this. Think of about, uh, uh, in America, the nearest thing I could tell you is a basketball arena. Do you guys play basketball in Canada? Okay, all right. (laughs) Take a basketball arena, 20,000 people, that size. But if it helps, just use this, although this isn't nearly that size. And what you would actually have to do if you wanted to draw a single atom accurately is place a cherry in the middle just floating, a cherry in the middle. And that's the nucleus, that little thing. And then go way out beyond these walls, think of this as an arena, and have little grains of sand orbiting. And that is actually, if you could blow up a single atom to the size of this building or to the size of an arena, that's actually the scale of what's going on. In other words, when you see the drawing, there's so little empty space in the little drawing, but every atom is actually by far mostly empty space. Think of a cherry and grains of sand and all of this empty space, 99.99999% of every atom is empty space. So how is it that this 
can be so solid and substantial when it's 99999999% empty space. See, in the beginning, when the Spirit was brooding and hovering, we get a scientific principle when it says, God said, let there be. Later in John 1, it says that Jesus is the Word made flesh, and the Word was God, and it was with God. And later in Hebrews, it says, He upholds all the universe. He's the image of the invisible God, the the firstborn of all creation. I think that's Colossians. And Hebrews says, He upholds the universe with the word of His power. And string theory is diving in to the mechanics of that empty space and dialing in even farther into what makes up that nucleus and what makes up those electrons and protons. And it's getting down to the subatomic level and even to the quantum level, which is zooming in more and more and more. And what string theory is suggesting and the, 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 the formulas are confirming is it's all made up of sound. That this, these plastic atoms or fiberglass, whatever this is, and this, these wood atoms, and if this was a real plant, these fibrous atoms, and this skin, all has different frequencies, and those frequencies interact together to form different gravitational attractions... And that is responsible for the table of the elements and the way atoms uh, come together to form different kinds of substances. But at its heart, it's all upheld by a word, a sound wave. Creation itself is the manifestation of the frequency of the Son of God. You don't actually exist apart from that reality. See, it's why you have ownership of this. It's why you're meant to become it, because you don't exist apart from it. So if we start to think, everything has a sound. It was a perfect setup. Where's the, the, the brother here? That was Yeah, right there. At one point he said... Guys, there's a sound happening right now. There's a sound happening right now, and it requires agreement. And it's actually why I wanted to keep going on that last one. The last, the last thing a speaker wants is to be, to be the guy that interrupts the moment, right? And actually, in that last song, there was a complete agreement in the house. And you could feel it. We really could have kept singing that for another hour. Just that one thing. Because when there's agreement, it it resonates. 
Now I want to draw on that word, resonate, because resonance is a concept of sound. Dissonance is the antithesis of resonance. Now, if I had, uh, if I had known this is what I was going to share, I would have brought a PowerPoint and I could have demonstrated it. But you can actually picture sound, right? You can see it. If 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 I pulled out my little voice memo thing on my phone and recorded myself right now, if you do that on your phone, you'll see your voice. Is, is doing this. I don't know what that's called, a spectrometer or, or something like that, where it takes an audio signal and converts it to a visual indication because sound moves in waves. And every voice and every sound has a unique signature, a unique pattern. And resonance is defined as that which amplifies a signal by agreeing with it. So if you have, let's say you have this signal right here. <laughs> this is my high-powered uh, uh, visual display here, all right? This is really sophisticated right now. But you have this signal right here. And somebody else comes along and adds that exact thing. Now this, by the principle of resonance, becomes this. The resonance acts on the principle of agreement and multiplies the potency of that wave. By contrast, if you have this wave right here and someone comes along with this wave, you actually get a flat line. It cancels each other out. I have, because I travel a lot, I have earphones, uh, ear, uh, yeah, earbuds, whatever they are, headphones, and they have something called active noise cancellation. And scientists have been able to, you know, break down the average, the average uh, uh, wave of an engine roar. And then you don't hear it in your ear, but it produces the opposite, the dips to that. So that what you end up with is a stillness in your ear. Because it cancels it out. Rather than hearing the engine roar, I hear peaceful thoughts. When it comes to the people of God and moving forward in the purpose of God, agreement is everything. The whole earth is upheld by a sound. The whole universe is upheld by a sound. It's why worship is so critical. Because worship is connecting to an eternal dimension that at the highest level of reality is cooperating on earth with the sound of heaven. It's continually happening right now for the last 50 kajillion years if we could somehow draw eternity into a linear time frame, for the last 50 kajillion years, there's been a song in heaven. Because they can't stop. The cherubim and the seraphim, the four living creatures, the 24 elders, they are just continually beholding 
the infinite dimensions of splendor and love and perfection and justice and righteousness and truth and glory and grace and power and might and mercy. And every now and then, every now and then, they're overwhelmed so much by what they see that they fall down and they just go, oh, you know, the crowns fall off their heads. Holy, 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 holy. I can't take any more. You're so, you're so glorious. You're so much beyond anything. I, but they can't stand not to look. So they get back up and they go, oh, I got I to do this again. You, you want to know why the living creatures, the cherubim and seraphim, have eyes all over? I don't know if they started with that or not, but those suckers started popping out. They may have started with one eye, and in the perfection of God, it was like, that's not enough. So now there's a few eyes, and that's like, that's not enough. Now they're covered with eyes. Their wings, their body, it's covered with eyes. And don't think for a moment that in, in, in the glory of the throne, one of those eyes is wandering, looking for an Xbox. I'm serious, young people. I want to challenge you. Behold the Lamb. My kids play PlayStation. I get it. It's not a sin. It's not bad. But part of the reason you keep playing the next game is because you're so bored. Creatures around the throne are not bored. They're covered with eyes and every one of them there's not a single eye that's going, okay, I, I think I've seen enough. I'm just going to see, check out this over here. No, 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 no. Covered with eyes, and they're all eternally gazing on the glory of God. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit in perfect unity. Well, that, that dimension of the excellence of God is embedded in material creation, and it's all upheld with the sound, the word of Christ. So now in these moments of worship, in the moments of the proclamation of the word, would, would you come up here for a second? Yeah, just for a second. I want to, I don't know if this will work because we didn't coordinate this. G- give me just a major, I don't know what it's even called, but both hands, a major chord. Oh, louder, yeah. No, no, uh, no, yeah, just boom. Okay, now intentionally, I know this will be painful for you as a musician, intentionally do one note off. Is everyone here? I mean, is that, is that a minor chord or is that off? I just want it off. That's, okay, did everyone just feel a little bit of mm, right there? Now do two off. Okay. Now do three off. It just gets worse and worse. Now play three notes on. Just, just a simple. Now, now play the off again. Now play the on again. Okay. You get the point. Thank you. That's (laughs) 
Let's look in, in Matthew 18. Verse 18. We just, uh, yeah. Truly I say to you, whatever you bind on earth shall be bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. Again I say to you. Now what's interesting to me about that phrase, again I say to you, is what he's about to say doesn't sound like what he just said, but by saying again I say to you, he's telling you what I just said I'm about to say in a different way. Truly I say to you, whatever you bind on earth shall be bound in heaven, whatever you loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. Now let me say it a different way. If two of you agree on earth about anything they ask, it will be done for them by my Father in heaven. For where two or three are gathered together in my name, there I am among them. Now this passage... If you go back up a little, uh, a few verses, he introduces the word church in, in verse 16. He talks about the witness uh, in, in a case of sin of two or three brothers with you in the context of the church. The, the word church is only spoken by Jesus twice in Matthew 16 previously and here in Matthew 18. Paul uses the word constantly. Jesus only spoke it twice. And the actual word is ecclesia. The ecclesia, I have a whole teaching on this, uh, 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 several hours actually, but I'm going I'm to dial it down to just a key component. The ecclesia is uh, actually a far more potent word than what the word church has come to mean to us. We actually have to add a lot of words, militant church, praying church, worshiping church, uh, you know, uh, these kind of words to, to characterize what can be a very passive institution. Ecclesia was not passive. The culture had been, uh, was Hellenized 400 years from Greek culture to Roman culture, and, and Palestine in this day is a Roman colony, and Rome has built its culture on Greek culture. And the Ecclesia in Greece was the ruling council of the city. So every even in the days of Jesus, every locality had a Gentile ecclesia. And they were, now you have 400 years of a thought process for what ecclesia means. And it didn't mean the building where you come together to sing songs. So when Jesus, two chapters earlier than this, to Peter, Peter says, you're the Christ, the son of the living God. Jesus says, flesh and blood didn't reveal this to you. But my Father who is in heaven, and upon this rock of revelation of the Son of God, I will build my ecclesia. And we're so familiar with that verse, I don't think we know how, how their eyes must have popped out. Because what Jesus basically said was, with Peter confessing him to be the prophesied Messiah, the Psalm 2, Psalm, Psalm 110, ruler of creation and nations... Jesus said, now that you know who I really am, I'm installing my government. And I'm giving you keys to bind and loose. And the gates of Hades will not prevail against it. Because if I have all authority, my government has all authority. That's why he ended that way. I have all authority, therefore go into all nations and make disciples. 
See, God started with one nation, Israel, and the other nations were not within that covenant. But when Jesus came, he said, now it's time to gather them all up. And you're my ambassadors, you're my government. When it says, a son must be given, oh, this is all sonship, you've got to hear this. When, when, when Isaiah says, a son must be given... And the government will rest on his shoulders. And of the increase of his government, there shall be no end. Now the son is given. He has the authority. He gives it and delegates his ruling council to bind and loose, to attack the gates of Hades. And from that point forward, the increase of his government is continuing in the earth. Through us. So now two chapters later, it's the only other time Jesus uses the word. But now he's talking more about the constitution of the community. We have a saying in the call that the constitution of your community is more important than the fervency of your prayers. Because it's this principle of resonance. If everyone's coming with their own agendas... Or there's dissonance, relational dissonance between people. Well, I complimented her dress, but she didn't say anything about my new blouse. I don't mean to be petty, but you know, we can be petty. It's like, you know, the church committee just got these new chairs and they're beige. And I was really hoping for blue, you know. Do you know how many things we divide over? We dissonance ourselves on? Such small things. I came to this church because I didn't like the color of the carpet in my other church. Right up to the big things. The real wounds, the disappointments, the unforgiveness. It's actually part of why this revelation is coming out of and surrounded by conversations on forgiveness. Immediately following this, Jesus is going to talk about the unforgiving servant. And 70 times 7. And the... the the, the necessity of living in humility and forgiveness with one another. Why? Because he really cares about his government being effective. He really cares about us at a personal level that we aren't jailed in unforgiveness uh, uh, by our own unforgiveness, that we aren't operating out of wounds and pain, and that we aren't clashing with one another And he cares about us in our particulars, but he also cares about us in our particulars so that when we come together, there can be agreement. And what might feel like a little bit of authority to us, simply by agreeing in faith, starts to have a multiplied impact. And now resonance is taking us to different dimensions of authority. Now we're starting to catch those moments where everything's happening together. We're dialing in by revelation. What is God doing in heaven right now? What's the sound of heaven? How can we uh, reproduce that on earth? And now, at, at a literal level, if we could see into it, if our eyes were spectrometers, we would start to see the power of prayer and worship when it's operating in agreement and how it's bringing creation into alignment with its ultimate purpose and delivering it of curses and breaking off bondages. And that's part of being the sons of God. 
That's why creation's groaning. It's waiting for us to add our sound to his sound so that there can be resonance on earth. I want to just give two quick closing thoughts. The brilliance of Jesus here. I pastored a church for 11 years and I know the thinking. Every church member, every church board, all, you know, elders, pastors, everything. We want to grow for the sake of the gospel, for the sake of the kingdom, all those things. But there is a tendency when it comes to prayer or the, the corporate mission of the, of the local church to think that whatever you are, wherever you are, at whatever stage you are, if you just had more people, you could get more done. So if I have 100 people in my church, I'm thinking, God, I can't wait till we get to 200. We're really going to be able to do things. If I have 200, I'm thinking, man, I can't wait till we have 500. The brilliance of Jesus here is small as the new big. When you really have a revelation of who he is, he's the Christ, the son of the living God. When you really have a revelation out of that, that he gives us of who you are. When you walk in these doors, you should be thinking, we have just convened the caucus of heaven on earth right now. The legislature of the eternal God has been summoned into session. The gavel hits and we are about to administrate the kingdom of God from this place. We prize the word unity. But the challenge of unity is when you multiply that out and out and out, it gets harder and harder and harder. The goal of unity isn't just John 17, love for one another. I I mean, that's a beautiful dimension that's coming. But the actual underlying principle of unity is agreement. And Jesus is a brilliant mathematician. Two is the lowest common denominator required for agreement. And brilliantly, it's the lowest common denominator required for disagreement. Right? I can argue with myself, but I'm going to win. As soon as I'm with somebody else, now there's can two walk together unless they share the same vision, unless they're making the same sound, is there dissonance or resonance happening? It's why the constitution of your community is actually more important than the fervency of your prayers. That's not a plea for passionless praying. It's get the priority right so that you're coming together and the word that Jesus uses, if two or three agree, is the word symphoneo. If two or three will come together and symphoneo. It's what the brother just did. We all cringe. You know, he was playing six notes. Only six notes. And with the very first one out of pitch, we're all kind of two or three out of pitch and nobody wants to be a part of that worship service. (laughs) Nobody wants to be a part of that prayer service. You're just hauling rocks and grinding against one another. And it's like, there's no power here? No, because everybody's canceling each other out. You just take two or three notes in agreement. 
You have the makings of a symphony. I'm going to close with a dream I had. Y'all getting this? In this dream two or three years ago, uh, the Lord gave me this, uh, this revelation. I, I honestly feel, uh, Pastor Mark, I feel like I disobeyed the Lord. I just want to confess it. I felt like the Lord said, save your books to bring here. I only brought one box of books. It's called Ecclesia Rising. The Lord gave me this revelation in 2010. Lou asked me to do a fresh look at, at Matthew 16, the passage I just kind of broke down. And I had never seen... I taught on the church as ecclesia, but I had never taught on the ecclesia. I didn't have the understanding. 2010, the Lord gave it to me for six weeks. I'm not an early riser, but I would wake up at 6 in the morning, 5.30 in the morning thinking about it. I would write for eight hours. I'd go to bed thinking about it. And this book came together in six weeks. I've never had an experience like it. And I felt like he said, save the books for here. But I had told them I would uh, at the conference I was just at that I would... Uh, and I thought, well, they probably won't all sell, and so I'll sell there and here, and they all sold. And I, I just want to repent publicly because I believe I disobeyed the Lord. I think this is uh, something meaningful for where you are as a fellowship. Because to go, to go deep into the fullness of sonship is not a solitary journey. It's a corporate journey. There's a corporate new man. So in this dream, about three years ago, I was walking down um, uh, kind of a country road, and I came to a massive landfill. And in the landfill, uh, you know, it was just acres and acres, hundreds of acres, whatever, uh, of, of garbage. And there was one of those giant cranes, construction cranes. And I, in the dream, I, I look and I see, you know, um, giant road signage? You know, you drive by on the highway and it only looks that big. But if they put it on the ground in front of you, it's like 30, 40, 50 feet tall. And this crane was moving this giant road signage, these letters, into the garbage dump. And I watched in the dream as they put E-X-X-O-N in the garbage dump. Exxon. Exxon Mobil, the world's... Uh, largest energy provider, if you will, by valuation. Is, does Exxon operate under that name up here? Esso. Esso is Exxon. So then all of a sudden I am in, I'm, I'm in, after seeing this in the landfill, I'm inside, I know I'm inside Exxon's global headquarters. Now this is a massive multinational corporation. Largest energy provider in the world in terms of the raw power of uh, uh, um, the raw assets of oil. And I'm inside, and it's, a, it's, it's about like this, and it's just high-tech everywhere. You know, computer screens and, and graphs and equipment, and, and right in the center, and all these guys, I know they're engineers and PhDs, the most brilliant minds in the world. And every, the place is just bustling with energy, but there's a particular device right in the middle where it's like a, a three-dimensional hologram. And that has the most attention on it as these guys in white lab coats and uh, men and women, and they're just 
you know, everyone's just watching, standing around this, this uh, thing. And every now and then, as I watched, I'm like a fly on the wall in there. Every now and then, you would see uh, this device was like a, a power meter, and it would spike. And then there would be, uh, there were like on the, on the boards around, there were maps of, of uh, the offices of Exxon across the earth. Tens of thousands of employees, multiple branches in dozens of nations. And this room was a control center where it could see everything. Research and development, human resources, uh, marketing, you know, all the different dimensions. And when this would spike, I would see a little dot over there and a little dot over there. And they, they were both the same color. And this would spike. And everyone would go, ooh. And they would write and study and analyze their data. And this kept happening. And then a dot here and a dot there. And I came to understand in the dream that what was happening was any place in the earth where two people were agreeing on something, the power was spiking within Exxon's structure. And, and the highest, brightest minds at the largest power center, in, uh, uh, power source in the earth was utterly focused on what's the next source of power. And they were realizing, they were collecting the data to realize that person in human resources and this person in research and development may not actually be on the same project at all, but if they shared a similar thought or a similar idea in the right way at the right time, it was a measurable source of power. And Exxon was realizing if we can tap into the power of agreement, we'll own the next great power source in the earth. And now I'm back out at the landfill and I see that same crane, except this time it's not taking, it's not putting letters into the dump. It's taking out of the landfill, E-K-K-L-E-S-I-A, Ecclesia, what Jesus is talking about right here. There is power in agreement. The universe is built around the essence of the sound of God that holds everything together. The enemy creeps in with his disconcordant notes. He creates dissonance. We start to doubt the goodness of God. We start to doubt the intentions of our brother or our sister. We aren't fighting any longer for one another's honor or giving the benefit of the doubt or believing the best or forgiving. We're letting these secret little things come in and just divide us so that when we come into this room, you have however many notes. And the notes don't necessarily want to play together. Now, I actually believe this is a very healthy church. I'm not, I'm not speaking that out out of some... I'm saying there's a higher dimension. The entire body of Christ, however healthy you are, what I'm actually saying is guard it. Guard your hearts with one another. Guard your relationships. Forgive quickly. Keep short ledgers. Go to one another. Confess. That's why I, I, I just had the fear of the Lord on me. I can't share this and not confess what I just did. Keep short ledgers. Work together. Don't 
esteem yourself above someone else. Who will be greatest in the kingdom? The one who's the servant of all. Take that position. Sit at the end of the table and let your name be called to come forward. Do the stuff that the Word, get this, the Word is telling us how to have the right sound. The stuff it says about community really matters. So when you come together, practice the sound so that you can be the sound. I just feel like there's a presenting of ourselves to the Lord. This isn't a heavy word. It's a joyful word. It's it's not a rebuke at all. I hope hope you don't hear that. I I don't feel like there's a dissonance. I believe you're pioneering something that you have to get these ingredients just reinforced in your heart and your DNA so that you can go to the full depth, the full measure, the full height. I really believe there's champions in this room. There's sounds to come out of this room. There's families to be raised. Children who are waiting for this identity to be branded on them. Supermen. Brides, sons of God. So I just want you to present yourself to the Lord however you need to. Stretch out your hands, place your hand on your heart. If you know you're out of sorts with somebody, make it a priority before you leave here today. Go touch them on the shoulder and say, I'm I'm just so wrong, I'm sorry. I've held this against you and it doesn't matter. I forgive you, I release it. God, I'm asking for something right here. Right here in Spruce Grove, there would be a a little colony of heaven on earth. A little colony of heaven on earth. They practice the sound together. They experience the breakthrough together. They divide the spoil together. God, I I once again, I, I honor Mark For the spirit of revelation, he walks in. God, let that revelation take deep root in every heart. God, I'm calling for the sons of God to arise in this place. Let there be a great symphony. A great symphony. God, even in homes, home groups, or whatever kinds of things they might have, God, that the two or three would come together and they would lock arms in love with one another and they would begin to proclaim and prophesy. Simple agreement with the Word of God. Revelation and understanding. And God, I'm, I'm just prophesying over them that resonance is coming. Greater degrees of resonance is coming. Greater degrees of authority and breakthrough is coming. And God, we muzzle the enemy. We muzzle the accuser of the brethren. We muzzle that voice which would produce dissonance and disagreement. And we speak to the harmony and melody of the Spirit. Two or three notes. Living rooms across this area. Sharing a meal. Praying. And being the ruling council of Christ. The schools coming under the Lordship of Christ. The banks, law firms, plumbers, doctors, mechanics, the neighbor to the left and to the right, 
of the increase of your government. There shall be no end. And it shall touch them. It shall touch them. And you're raising ambassadors. God, we ask for Edmonton. We ask for Canada. These are days of crisis in the nation. God, there is a sound in the nation. There is a sound in the nation that is not your sound. There are laws. There are practices. God, they don't represent your heart or your kingdom. God, we don't attack those things. We bless them to the point of transformation. We say Canada shall be saved. Young men will grow up knowing they are young men. Young ladies will grow up knowing they are young ladies. Marriages will prosper. The womb will be a safe haven for life. Even the natural borders of Canada, God, they're meant to preserve and protect the dignity and the purpose of Canada and the earth. God, we're asking for a transformation of the government at the highest levels. You can even feel it in this room. Agreement. Agreement. God, we just agree with heaven on earth. We agree that you have a purpose for Canada. We agree that you have a purpose for the family unit. You have a purpose for the womb. You have a purpose for young men and young women. You have a destiny on Canada to be a light to the nations and a healing to the nations. And we will not yield the sound of Canada to darkness. Come and do your work, God. This colony of heaven called Spruce Grove. Families of God right here, flowing in love. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Dean. Well, I'm, I'm hoping you, you really, we really caught some of this, you know, because we've been actually talking about these things for a very long time. And, uh, you know, when I look at, the, when I look at uh, our history and some of the challenges over time, it always is around dissonance. And, and uh, whenever there's confusion, it's because some people don't understand uh, the negative effect of that dissonance, and they don't seem to be able to identify the sound of dissonance in their life. And so part of what we're learning is, God, you know, uh, what are the characteristics of, of oneness and versus what, is the, what are the characteristics of, of dissonance? And that's why I've talked so often about James 3, 16, 17, and 18. I mean, th- what God gives us, He can't say, this is that sound, but He says, He says, listen, if you understand the sound of dissonance and withdraw from it and don't give it expression, eventually you're going to find the sound of unity. So he said, uh, so the enemy strategy, on the other hand, is always the spirit of Antichrist, right? It's that noise cancellation thing. It's like Christ and what the enemy brings, Antichrist, the spirit of Antichrist. You know, there's, uh, there's good seed sown into a field. What does he come here? He sows tares at night, Right? the dissonance that will nullify the effect of the good fruit. And so our journey, your journey, the discipleship journey, is identifying the the source of dissonance in our life. And you think, well, what does that mean? I just do everything you say? (laughs) 
<laughs> no, but there's something to be said for people who have established in their lives uh, a reputation for being on in the Spirit. Right? So we learn to yield to one another and those that we, we give them the benefit of the doubt. So we honor. And, and, uh, and, and, and plus, the, there's the metron of your authority. Do you have the authority in this scenario to speak your dissonant sound? You know, I mean, this is how there's an order of the kingdom of God to establish this unity of sound. It's coming. He's just looking for a people who are able to embrace it. When I think of John, you know, the, the apostle John, what is it that made Jesus love John? Less dissonance. That's why when, when, when Jesus said things that the, everyone else struggled with in, 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 in less and less degrees, the 12 struggled less than all the others, but the three struggled less than the other nine, and John struggled less than the other two. The innate ability to align. Now, we're not saying, you know, the, the, the anthem of the world has come together over me. But that's not what we're doing. Leaders in the body of Christ have been given authority based on their faithfulness to come together over Him. And that's why God elevates. That's why God promotes. That's how He promotes. You know, when I look at my journey, as God has increased my authority, it's because I've laid down my, my need to have people come around me, and I'm coming around Him. And my willingness and ability to come around Him increases my authority in the body of Christ. That's the journey. So, Father, do this in us. You said you were going to do it. God, you said you were going to establish something, Lord, a nuclear fusion of the kingdom of God, and it's based on unity. So, Lord, I pray you give us an appetite for the truth, an appetite to hate that dissonance, an appetite, God, to, to love, Lord, your divine kingdom order. Lord, we want to know how to come into line with you, and we believe that you are doing it. So, Lord, as we go from here, may the, may the truth of this, Lord, again, as it's been reinforced from another angle, God, uh, become our, des- our, our, our uttermost desire, Lord. Uh, thank you, Lord. Thank you, Father. Thank you, Father, in Jesus' name.